Isimiake's designs were in part shaped by global events. One such instance was from the 1960s. During the student riots, he reportedly became disappointed with what he called the dress-only-the-wealthy credo. So it's not surprising that he came up with clothing that is easy to wear, doesn't crease, and can be quickly rolled after a wash. The atomic bombings at the end of World War II also shaped his philosophy. As an A-bomb survivor, Miyake said the experience left him with the desire to create joyful products instead of focusing on the destructive things happening in our world. That might explain why his brand was inspired by nature. There were times when he used culinary colors, like shades of vanilla and cinnamon in his collections. And according to The Guardian, creations like these blur the line between art and fashion. And fittingly, some of Miyake's works are held at locations, like the Museum of Modern Art. Over the years, Miyake earned an important place in the fashion world, not only as an artist, but also as the mind behind one of the most in-demand brands. And for someone who was said to have an anti-trend stance, he sure had a few of his own during a career that spanned five decades. Let's welcome fashion writer and author Dana Thomas. Hi, Dana. So, Isimiyake was so cynic about the fashion industry, but then he insisted producing for it. Why do you think that was the case? Well, in fact, what he, he was cynical about the fashion industry at its most elite level. He had trained and learned as a couturier and worked for Guy Laroche and Hubert de Givenchy. And then he said, you know, why am I making clothes only for the happy few? I should be making clothes for everybody. But why can't fashion be as, as accessible as blue jeans and a T-shirt? And so he dedicated his life and his career to doing just that. And do you think he managed to do that? Because, I mean, Isimiyake still, at the end of the day, is a luxury brand, isn't it? It is, but it isn't at the same time because when you, it is on the lower end of a luxury brand. And when you buy Isimiyaki, like this, this was not an arm and a leg, this little shirt, you know, you can wear it forever and ever and ever. It never goes out of style. It is not of a period or a time or a moment. It is truly timeless. And it's timeless is modernism. It's like modernism from the mid-century, you know, where it just always looks cool and great and new and smart. And that's why when you invest in something that's easy miyaki, even if it's on the low end, like pleats, please, you'll have it forever. All right. I want to go back to a point about him being cynical about the fashion industry. What was his biggest problem with the industry? Well, I think his biggest problem was there were two different ideas that he he didn't like how a lot of fashion brands looked backward rather than forward and kept referencing the past instead of trying to look forward. He always would say, "I I only think about tomorrow," and you know there are so many fashion brands that are are steeped in the 1960s or the 1920s or even the 19th century and still riffing on those ideas. And then I think also he just didn't like how it was very elitist and he wanted to make it more democratic. And did this stance against elitism come after the 1968 student protests? Am I making that connection right? 
Yes, he was a student. He was a young man in Paris. He had studied in Paris in the early 1960s, and he was caught up during those student riots in 1968. And when he was listening to what they were protesting and what they were calling out for, and this whole youth movement, the youth quake, as it was called, you know, he said, I, I need to sort of reevaluate. He had an existential crisis of a sort. He said, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And he decided then and there to dedicate himself to being more democratic and also always thinking about the youth, whether it was mentoring young people or dressing young people or bringing young people into his company to work for him and help him create these ideas. You know, there's a great picture I posted on Instagram yesterday of him, but went with a story I wrote about him for the Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago. And he's surrounded by a bunch of 20 to 32 year olds, like it's Issei and the kids. And that, that for him was always really important. And I think that's rooted in that moment where he had that pivotal, you know, d epiphany of sorts in 1968. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm definitely going to check it out after the show. Uh, now, uh, I kept saying fashion designer or his stance in the fashion world, but then he didn't use that word for himself and his own designs, right? I think he preferred the word clothing, and I want to know why that is. Yes, he did. He did always talk about clothing rather than fashion. And he talked about being, you know, creative as opposed to being, you know, a designer of sorts. And the reason he always talked about clothing was because, you know, we all get up in the morning, and we get dressed, unless, of course, you're a nudist. We have a lot of those in South Pay this summer. But he would say, let's get dressed and let's put on clothing, that this is what we are about to do. And why should clothing not always look great? Why should it either be T-shirts and jeans or fancy, fa fancy fashion. And so he, he really did try to meld the two ideas and come up with a fashion that was a clothing that was fashionable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we said affordable, light, ageless, transseasonal, genderless, and all of these, I think, uh, isn't please, please. I have a feeling that it could even be, that line could even be seen as the magnum opus in Miyake's career, but I wonder what you think. Could, could we see Please Please as uh, everything that uh, Miyake cared about? It's not all that he cared about, but definitely it embodied much of what he, he set out to do. And the beauty of it is that it really has, you know, become an, a, a very important part of the clothing business, not just the fashion business. And whenever you any, see anyone wearing pleats, please, they always look really great. And you can't pig when it was from, and you can't, and it, and it can be worn by any person of any age, any style, and they always look fantastic. And they're wearing the clothes, the clothes aren't wearing them. I think that that was really important to him too. And he also created the world's most famous black turtleneck, of course. Why did Steve Jobs um, not go to any other designer but Issey Miyake? Well, they they came out with they came up with this design that just really suited Steve Jobs. He liked the lightness and the breathability of the shirt, but then he also, you know, sort of tell he took this basic Miyake design and then tweaked it to make it really suit him. And Miyake said, "Done, it's yours." You've got it. And he would order them by the hundreds. He would hundreds of, you know, he just, that's all he wore. And that was his uniform. And there is something to the idea that Miyake, you can always put it on. You know that you're going to look fine. You're not going to look fine. You're going to look great. You're going to look appropriate, but you're going to look modern. You're going to look smart. And that's what, those are all the ideas that Steve Jobs always wanted to put forth. He didn't want to look constrained in a suit that was so not his style. And Miyake just 
captured his spirit in that in of being modern and movable and, and in movement and smart. Well, Dana, I, I'm also curious about uh, his relationship with uh, the runway because for such an avant-garde designer. I personally would expect something more out of the box when it comes to his, you know, runway performances. But what do you think? Well, there were some pretty great ones. Like I remember one time I wrote about one where he cast six women over the age of 60 that they just found sort of here and there. One of them was scouted in a Japanese restaurant. Another one was a 91-year-old retired couturier that they knew or a dan no, retired dancer. And... Uh, and that was fantastic. That was at a time when fashion was not at all thinking about inclusivity or diversity, quite the opposite. He he used to work with a really beautiful black dancer, American black dancer from the Frankfurt Ballet. And in fact, he would have dancers, many dancers from the Frankfurt Ballet from William Forsythe's company on his runway, showing the clothes or dancing. I went to a show not long ago by his the the new designer at Miyake, but definitely with with Issei shadowing him somewhat or overseeing and mentoring him, and the and they were showing the clothes by skateboarding around a big room. I mean that was fantastic, and that for me really did capture the spirit of the brand of Issei Miyake that you can be in this really beautiful cool dress that's all sheer and flowing, and you're skateboarding. So you know always modern, always easygoing, always beautiful. All right, I, I'm, I'm convinced, I have to say, this was a good one. Fashion writer Dana Thomas, awesome to talk to you as always. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. My pleasure, thank you.